It's just like the golden rule. If you were in the other person's shoes, how would you want to be treated? And even if that person isn't going to stay in the company, that person might end up being a customer one day or multiple companies down the line. You end up working with them again. Who knows? So just play the long game. Hi, I'm Nils Vinda, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya, and today my guest is Chad Estes. Chad, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nils. Hey, Chad, looking forward to digging into all things leadership. But first, would you share with the audience where you're working today and what role you're in? I'm currently the head of customer success at SaaS Optics and Chargeify, two companies that are coming together. So when you say coming together, what exactly do you mean? Sure. So back in April 2021, Battery Ventures is a private equity firm. They did a change of ownership for both SaaS Optics and Chargeify, or two companies that are very complementary in the B2B SaaS subscription management space. And so we're being brought together to uh, hopefully be one of the you know the leaders in our space. Well, that's fantastic. And I imagine that there's a lot that's going on in when integrating two companies. I'm curious, were these two companies of equal size or you know, kind of market share? And you're just literally combining to create an incredible product offering now? Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So our size, you know, SaaS Optics was before the acquisition, roughly hundred employees. Uh, charge of five was, you know, 150. Or so, both in a very in the very similar space, but approached it in different ways. So we kind of attacked a different segment of, of the marketplace and different use cases. So whereas Chargeify is really good at usage based billing and highly variable components that tap into the API and directly into your product, SaaS Optics is really oriented towards sales negotiated contracts and strong general ledger connections, RevRec, SaaS metrics, etc. So together we're able to basically handle any different B2B subscription model that's needed across our platforms. Wow, that sounds pretty cool. I mean, everything it sounds like from a low-end monthly subscription to a high-end annual contract all under one roof. Bingo, that's it. Okay, awesome. So we're going to come back to your current role in a little bit. But first, let's take a little trip back in time. And I want to hear about the how you got into your first leadership position. Set the stage for us. What was going on and what happened? Sure. So I've been in, in B2B SaaS even before it was called SaaS and just kind of hosted software. So I've been in the industry for, for over 20 years. You know, one of my first, well, I've had a couple of different leadership roles, but probably the one that's most notable. So I'm in Atlanta. I had the good fortune to join a company called Vitru, who was in the user-generated content space. 
We were at the point when the social media world was kind of first really taking off and Facebook and Twitter were opening up their API platforms. And Vitru was one of the first to build on top of those APIs and develop a social marketing, social media marketing platform for, for brands as they activated within social. That was one of my first opportunities to sort of build a services team from scratch. You know, you joined the company and then you had an opportunity to build the services team from scratch. So how did you actually get into the actual position of being the one to build the services team from scratch? Were you hired in for that? Or was that something that developed in, internally as you were working? So Vitru was a, a startup at the, at the time developing a uh, citizen journalism solution for like CNN and Weather Channel. Long story short, the original intention of the company really wasn't working out and the company strategically needed to make a major pivot. And we pivoted, we had to downsize. I was fortunate enough to, to make it through that change. And at the time we found us, I joined the company actually in product management, but we found ourselves really heavy in product management and very light on those that had any kind of consulting or services background. So I was asked to change roles and to build a services offering around a brand new product set and a brand new industry that it was just just forming. <laughs> okay. So all kinds of crazy stuff is going on in the environment of which you're in. Startup things change all the time, but company pivot, downsize, you're lucky enough to stay on board. And then what you were doing before in the project management space ended up being not what you focused on after that. Now tell us a little bit about how you navigated a completely new potential, you know, department industry focus and pivoting from product management to services, you know, how did you learn how to do that and then build a department on top of it? It was definitely very interesting. We were certainly on the bleeding edge and it was just trial by fire. And we were learning as every day went, went by and social media was changing every single day and we were creating a brand new product. So brand new product, we, we were lucky enough that uh, we had some really good salespeople and executive team members that had the right connections. And we were able to land Apple as our first big account. And so I was thrown at that. We just kind of had to develop our processes and it's a brand new product. It's the first time it was being implemented. So everything was new. All processes were new. And luckily it went well. And having that kind of feather in your cap with Apple was able to lead us to some other significant brands. And we just tried to rinse and repeat it as we were developing our product and iterating on that. We were developing our implementation process and our account management process and iterating on that uh, every new account that we earned. And so after a few accounts, having big ones, we needed to add more people and to continue to, to try to scale, scale the department and, and how, we, how we did business. So let's dig into when you hired the second person on your team. And you told me this story about what happened and would love to dig into that a little bit because it was a very, very important lesson that you learned there. When we were talking about this beforehand, I, I learned a, a good lesson on a, on a different podcast about that good leaders aren't afraid to talk about their failures and where, where they went wrong. And this was like, I heard this message right before we did our prep call and it really struck me. I'm like, you know what? That's a really, really good point. Thinking about the audience and that failure is, is life's best teacher. As we were building the team, we'd done things with Apple and it worked well. And so we got the next client. We're like, okay, well, let's keep doing things that worked well. And the second person that I hired, this person was doing a good job and had developed really good relationships with our next customer. And actually the customer was ESPN. Being a new manager in this role, 
I was looking at it of like, hey, this is the framework we developed. Hey, let's just keep repeating this because it's working, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Fix it. This person wasn't really fully adopting exactly the way that I had done it. And in our coaching sessions and one-on-ones, I would lean into that. And it wasn't really coming through, but the client really liked this person. And I should have approached it in the sense of give your team a framework to operate in, but don't micromanage every single thing that they do. If it's working well with them, you know, part of it's a science and part of it's an art and like, let your team be creative enough to work within that and be successful. And unfortunately, the way I personally handled it, I could have done better. That person did not stay on the team that much longer. I regretted the way that I managed that situation because they were successful with their customers. And the customer liked the product and the customer liked the service and everything was going well. So I was demanding too much that they follow exactly to the letter how I had personally built it. But things change. It's okay to evolve and let your team be creative and create new ways of doing things. You hit on so many important points in that story and and that learning experience when being willing to accept when you're despite how great it seemed at one point in time, approach may not be perfect for everybody. Two, that the individual didn't actually end up staying on the team for very long. And I think this is the undercurrent of an awful lot of positions out there that, and I've experienced this myself, I'm sure you have as well, that people leave managers, not companies. And the experience he had with you was probably pretty different than what he and his feelings about working for you in that particular environment way back then was probably pretty different than what he thought about working for the company. And that had an impact on his trajectory and his long term and whatever, solely for the purpose that as you learned, like your way and doing it one way wasn't the only way. And I love how you brought up the framework piece because the the constraints that you're providing to these individuals to operate within is more important than the actual task that you're doing. Would you share just a little bit about the framework that you did put in place for that services team as you grew and as you learned and kind of wanted to give them more, you know, freedom within the the bounds of that you had defined? What did that look like? A lot of it was product onboarding, you know, the framework itself. So which product are we standing up? Which portions of the product are we configuring? At the time, that particular product was like a social media publishing capability, right? Planning the content. Some of our customers developed their own content. Some they were looking for us to help develop the content. How do you plan that? There are portions that our product handled. There were things that uh, that our product didn't handle and it assumed you already had other things figured out. So a lot of times a services team is is doing just that, right? Like I know how to actually configure and click the buttons in the product, but what's your user's workflow and experience and stuff they have to do before and after, right? Maybe your product doesn't have certain templates for importing stuff in, or maybe it doesn't already have certain reports or analytics and you kind of have to extract raw data and try to manipulate that to help get to key business decisions. So that was part of the framework and part of it was customer management and approach timing and frequency and cadence. Uh, What do your status updates look like? How often are you touching each customer? Are all customers the same? We happen to be dealing with a bunch of Fortune 500 customers at that time. So we really needed to lean in with a very hands-on type experience. So that was, you know, that was in general the, the framework that is being used that we set up at the time. Cool. The notion of consistency in execution is incredibly important, but there are so many levels of degree of consistency that you can get to. 
right? All the way down to the, you have to fill out this report in this way and this structure and this cadence and send it to these people and then blah, blah, blah. Like all the way up to, well, there needs to be a status report. It needs to cover these three things and it needs to be done at least monthly, right? Those two things might have completely different outputs. One where it is, you know, feels like all you do are as a robot. And the other one is, well, I have some freedom. As long as I achieve these objectives, I'm meeting the goal. And that gives an awful lot more ownership of people to the work that's being done. Without a doubt. And, and part of that, too, as I learned over time, part of it is what's the customer expecting? What do they find valuable? So if you say create this monthly status report and it shouldn't include these things, you need to be open to, should that status report change? Are all those things that you're putting in it needed? Is that just busy work? Also, if you're asking team members to do stuff, but yet you're not reporting on that data, then why are you having them do it? Or if you are having them collect certain information, then maybe you should be reporting on it, right? It's like, is this work moving the needle? Well, I don't know. What's the needle? Do you even have a needle? (laughs) (laughs) And when that question comes back, it hits pretty hard, right? And it's like, ooh, do I have a needle? What am I actually looking for? Sometimes you got to take an honest look in the mirror and accept that maybe there were things that you went down a path before and you just kept going down that path without looking back and saying, is this really still the right path? Right. Yeah. I've been collecting all this data because I thought I would measure it. Turns out we're doing just fine without measuring it. Then maybe you should stop asking your team to collect that data because it's taking up time that's not useful. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, cool. So let's fast forward up to another situation that you had mentioned to me when you were in a VP role at a company and there was some new leadership brought in and what transpired and we'll talk about the lesson that you learned there because I think it's a really powerful one that I've actually experienced myself too. I was in a, an MVP role, company was doing well. And basically one one day a new leader was introduced uh, at our company and I was brought in like just immediately before me. I didn't really know that you know this company was being positioned for for acquisition. I guess the the thing that struck me and how it how it went along was that I didn't know any of this was happening. I was introduced to this person on the same day in the same way as the rest of my team. Everybody found out everything all at the same time and it was a surprise wasn't necessarily the best experience for me as a leader to learn about a, a brand new boss just above you along with your team. I agree. And that was uh, oddly this exact same scenario that I had happen play out. I was uh, at a director level. Unbeknownst to me, we merged with another company and then a one of the leaders from the other organization, who admittedly was more senior than I was, which was fine, ended up taking over my department, but I was sitting in the room with my team in the exact same way you just described. So describe the feeling for us on what you felt, and then I'll share it as well and and see how closely aligned we were with what is really on the other side of that when you're completely blindsided by something as important as you're now report to this person and this is what this org looks like. Right. So, I mean, I, I guess it would best be summed up by the word awkward. Awkward for me, awkward for the new person, as well, awkward for my team. When you have been leading something and suddenly you're not leading it anymore, the question is, well, what then what am I doing? What value do I add? How does the rest of the team see me? How are we moving forward with this? And when a lot of that is done in the public eye, moving forward beyond that point, it continues to be awkward, right? And it doesn't really allow, especially previous leader and new leader, 
to develop a healthy relationship when that relationship is being introduced publicly. Yeah. I found the same thing. Awkward is a wonderful word to describe it. And I still remember that that moment sitting in that room with everybody and for the first time hearing that and I my heart just kind of sank, my stomach started to turn and I was like, uh-oh. What am I going to do? And that night going home was not terribly pleasant because I was pretty worried about everything. So did you end up staying at that organization and working with that leader for a period of time after that? So I did. I guess the good part out of it was that that company did still move forward. You know, within a year later, we we were well positioned for uh, acquisition. We did go through an acquisition. It was good for everyone. But I just know my relationship with that new leader never was really given an opportunity to have good grounding and good good footing, right? We could have developed into a stronger relationship, but because of the way that it was introduced, it just, it never really had too much of a chance. I mean, it's like dead on arrival. There aren't enough defibrillators <laughs> to strap to the chest to get a heartbeat going. It's just not going to happen, even over the course of a year, right, of trying to work on it. I took the opposite path in my situation. After I learned about that, it was about three to four weeks after that happened that I left that organization because I didn't feel I could trust anything that was going on. And, you know, this was not just the change in having somebody come over me, but the new direction and kind of where the organization was going didn't align with who I was and where I was and the individual that I technically reported to that time, we had a pretty rough go for those first four weeks. It was not not terribly pleasant. So I was extremely happy to, to leave and go to another opportunity. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. So... How did this play out in the future, the learning from this situation? Because you then came up against this as a potential, again, bringing somebody else into your organization and share a little bit about how you flipped the script on this and talk about what the change in behavior was and change in relationship was. Fast forward several years, I'd been at different companies, but fast forward, I come into a new organization and I'm coming in as a, a new leader. And there was a team member that that had been leading a, a team. I kind of came in to run customer success. There was an existing leader who had built the implementation team that was still there in place. And I was you know, being told, hey, this person is going to be moved into a different part of the organization. We're going to have you take over the implementation team and, and do these other things. When I knew all that was happening, I suddenly found myself in a situation of the roles are now reversed. I'm now the new guy coming in. What does this existing person know about the situation? How are they going to feel? Are they going to find out when I show up day one in a company meeting and, you know, I'm being introduced and that's how this person like learns about what's going on? I, I didn't want that to happen, especially since I knew that that person was being shipped into a different role and still would be the company. I'm like, well, they built a lot of this themselves from scratch. Like they deserve better than to have that also happen to them. So my my request to the, the person who was bringing me in was, can you please set me up to meet meet this guy ahead of time? I'd love to just have lunch with him, 
and establish a relationship privately before I start. It went well, actually. He was very thankful that I did that. He was able to give me a lot of background information on what was going on, what was going on with the team members. It was far less awkward, right? He was able to position things with his team in advance. And when I showed up, it wasn't a surprise for anybody. There wasn't that weird, awkward air in the room of what's going on and I wonder how this person feels, etc. And we were able to just start off clean. It all started from a lunch. Like, that's it. That was simple as that. That didn't have to be any more complicated than sitting down and having a conversation over a meal. And that completely changed the your entire entry into that organization and probably your first six months in that organization because had it come in and been the awkward thing, it takes a lot of time to rebuild from that point as we were talking about with your previous experience. So it's just such an incredible lesson here that you know, there's always a person on the other end of these decisions, whatever it is, whether it's a performance thing or whether it's somebody coming in to take over the implementation team like you were, whatever it is, there's always a person on the other end of this. And having that front of mind as you did here and just said, hey, I just would love an opportunity to have a conversation with them, talk to them. And they opened up and they helped you with information that you never could have gotten. And it's so cool. You know, not only did it help at the beginning, the good thing is, I mean, I'm still at at this company and years later, this guy is still with the company, he plays a critical role, the role that he provides on the product department and he leads customer education and he handles all kinds of things that help deflect things from my team. We work in partnership constantly and had we not built that good relationship, then, you know, what would be like the cross department leadership situation here? Would we be helping each other all the time and sharing resources and initiatives and and things of that nature. And that's just inside the company. But I guess I would say, you know, it's just like the golden rule. If you were in the other person's shoes, how would you want to be treated? And even if that person isn't going to stay in the company, you never know where they go. The SaaS world is a small world. That person might end up being a customer one day. And now you're the vendor and they're the customer or in some sort of partner relationship or just multiple companies down the line, you end up working with them again. Who knows? So just play the long game. (laughs) Play the long game. That's a really great point because the individual that I actually was put in over me in my merger situation ended up being one of the most important people at a very important customer two companies later. (laughs) For me, I was VP of CS and this individual happened to be the one who was responsible for our product. I had no idea that I came into it. I was blown away. And that's just a perfect example of how small the world is. And no matter what industry you're in, it's always a small world. So by, you know, putting the human first and putting people first and learning from that experience, it sends such a powerful message that that's the type of person that you are, right? And then other people hear the story. Oh, when Chad joined, you know, this is how he came into this. Like, wow, that's really cool. I appreciate that because I've been through XYZ situation that wasn't as good. And I think it's just such a powerful takeaway here to always remember that even though the decisions can't be made out in the open, that there's always somebody behind it, that advanced notice or one-on-one connection is always going to pay huge dividends down the line. Cool. Cool. Chad, I'm curious about some advice that you would have. You are going through a merger today. 
you have two companies, SaaS Optics and Chargeify. You are the head of customer success. When those two companies come together, you have a lot of different products, a lot of different departments, a lot of different people, a lot of different things that have to get done. And I'm curious in your role, you know, from this leadership position that you're in today, what are some of the key things that are most important for you to, as you successfully navigate the combination of these two incredible companies to form, you know, a very, very wide ranging product set? There's a lot of, a lot of things involved for sure. I break it down into, as we've kind of, we're trying to come together as one team, one company, one product set. For me, at least within the customer success world, it comes down to the team and the process and the tools. That's a very intentional order. Even though everybody in the B2B SaaS world, we're building software, it's products that customers are buying, et cetera, but it's the people that build it, it's the people that support it. So just always focusing people first. Who are our people? Who's good at what? Where are we going forward? Where are our gaps? Also making sure that you're kind of clear on growth path, right? And that you're encouraging team members to grow. You're looking at like, who's leaning forward, who's hungry, who's already asking for more, who's demonstrating that they're going above and beyond their specific role, who's making other people better around them and just focusing on the people. Then of course the process, you know, you always need to look at, especially in the SaaS world that we're, you're always iterating on your process. There's always a new version that you can do better and that you're thinking about, well, you can build that thing, but why are you doing it? Also, when you do that new thing, how are you deploying it? And are you thoughtful about your deployment? You can come up with a new process, but if your team doesn't adopt it, it doesn't matter. And then lastly, like what's the tool set that you're using to enable that process and to be able to do it at scale? And that's at least how we've approached it. We're in the middle of our unification journey. There's uh, lots of different aspects to it. That's how we've been approaching it so far. And also as a leader, I think the other thing is like you're, you're, you're setting up the framework for your team to operate well within, removing obstacles, et cetera. But it's your team is also depending on you to develop the relationships and the cross-department processes that you need to be uh, that you need to be successful. So making sure you're you're really leaning in with other department leaders to optimize is is a big, big part of the role. Wonderful just summation of how to successfully navigate not just two companies coming together, but lead a team, right? Putting people first. I'm with you hundred percent. If they don't want to follow, if they don't have an interest, if they don't believe in you as their leader, there are way too many opportunities out in the world right now for them to stay in a place that does not serve them well and does not fulfill them from a personal or professional perspective. So by putting the people first, it's just wonderful to hear another leader who is 100% aligned with that. And then the process and the tools, you know, and it, as you said, it is in a, we are in a constant state of iteration forever. And regardless of if you're in SaaS or not, I think you should always be in a constant state of iteration, right? On all elements, leadership included, as you heard in some of these stories from Chad today. So just wonderful insights. Thank you for that framework and kind of how you think about it. Last question here. Let's say you were had knew everything you know today and you were able to travel back in time and sit down with yourself in that first company you told us about where you got into the leadership position, running the services team, before you took on that second team member, right at that point when you were going to have that additional individual come in and report to you. And you know everything you know today. What advice would you give to your younger self? 
how you approach things a lot of times depends upon what company you're at and what's the product do and what point of maturity are you. I know I've been part of situations where very early on we were trying to figure things out and a lot of times it's, you may want to say, oh, well, let's do this process. I want to do this process, but that seems really manual. That's not going to scale. If you're a mature company, then yes, you should be playing the long game. You should be making decisions that's all about scale. But if you're brand new, don't shoot yourself short. And you know, sometimes you just need to get the thing done in order to make the first few customers successful. You really need to be honest with yourself about what is that inflection point where your approach needs to be scalable. At the very beginning, if you can't make those first few customers successful, then you don't have anybody else to point to. You're not helping your sales team, etc. So, you know, at the very beginning, it kind of has to be manual and that's okay. And you need to be okay with that and just looking for that inflection point on when scale really does matter and not waiting too long to make that decision. Because if if you go too long manually as a leader, you can't keep throwing bodies at the situation. One, being okay doing things manually, but then there's a fine line. Like you said, if you go too long, it becomes an exponentially greater problem than than perhaps if you took time out from doing the manual things to think about the scale side and, and get things going. And that's a consistent theme I've seen in, across lots and lots of leaders on this podcast and others that I've talked to is where is that inflection point? And sometimes people come into organizations and find out that it was never done and have to pull back a whole bunch of stuff and that takes extra time and effort. So there is that point in time where you cannot do it manually anymore. Um, any tips or advice on how to find that inflection point and what are the like you know most important things that would give you signal be like, okay, this we now need to think about scale here. It's no longer about just doing it manually. We got to think about being ready to do this repeatedly for lots and lots more customers. Ideally you have you have good cross-department relationships and that you're not working in a vacuum, right? If you're leading an onboarding team, you shouldn't be surprised by how many customers are closed this month. Like, do you have a good relationship with sales and marketing? Do you know what the projections are? Are you looking at that and saying, hey, we're, you know, things are going well. Well, how well do we expect them to go next quarter? And if we hit those projections, can my team handle that right now? Do I need to hire ahead of that? That's one of the biggest challenges with customer success is being part of a growth company, having the team members that know what they're doing and have been effectively ramped up in order to catch that future volume. Usually ramping employees and getting them trained up correctly and not just throwing them to the wolves, you need to be ahead of that, ahead of that scale. So develop good relationships with those departments that are upstream from you, right? Sales, product, et cetera. You know how stuff rolls and where it rolls and that old saying, yeah, don't get, don't get caught off guard. <laughs> <laughs> get to the source. I love it. That's fantastic. All right, Chad. Well, it has been absolutely wonderful to spend some time with you today. Thank you for sharing your experiences, your stories, your advice with me and this audience. Can't wait to hear about all the incredible things that you and the SAS Optics in charge of my team are going to do. Take care and have a wonderful rest of your day. All right. Thanks, Nils. Appreciate it, buddy. Bye. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week 
Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.